So once again, I am joined by Tom Seams, CSPS's chief economist. Thanks again for joining us, Tom. Yes, thank you, Matt. So I could probably already guess what the answer is going to be to this one, but for the last three months, for this month, for the data we just got, what is the big picture for the economy right now? Inflation. Uh, you know, just like last month um, when we talked about it in detail, uh, but now it's worse than then. So. The U.S. Consumer Price Index, or the CPI, it went up 1.2% in March and is up 8.5% from a year earlier. And I think probably everybody already knows that. Um, Last month, the year-over-year CPI was 7.9%. So this is the strongest pace since 1981. And, you know, as we noted last month, the acceleration in the headline CPI was really anticipated this month due to the fallout of the uh, global commodity markets and the Russia invasion of Ukraine. And taken together, you know, it's energy and food prices that accounted for about 70% of this monthly increase. So like I guessed, inflation, and and like you said, if anyone was ever wondering what causes inflation or what's behind it, you and I talked just last month uh, on this podcast about just that. So I encourage yep. listeners to go back and, and get that data there. Um, I got to play the devil's advocate because I know we're going to move on pretty quickly here. Is all the inflation data bad? I know very high numbers, 40 years, and I'm, I'm staring at silver linings here, but I saw at least a few economists point to the fact that if you remove energy, which had a very high high spike because of the war and food, uh, com- goods prices were down, that used car prices have started to move down finally, and that some of this inflation is because of just how early in the month the polling was done when those gas hikes were, were very, very high. So am I just throwing mm-hmm. out some false hope here, or are there some, some signs that there might be turning a corner? Well, Yes, uh, I think you're correct that we've seen some, um, you know, it, it seems like we've seen some improvements even since these uh, data were released um, because of the timing of the collection. Um, but again, you know, if you strip out food and energy prices and you look at what's called core CPI, that's still up uh, as big as it's ever been on a year over year basis. And so it's creeping in. Inflation is not just in food and energy prices, right? It's starting to get into shelter prices and um, other types of uh, uh, goods and services that we purchase. All right, so so still very concerning um, and and not a lot of good to see here. So you previously worked at a federal Federal Reserve Bank, and you've probably got a pretty good sense of just the type of challenge on the minds of the folks uh, in the Fed right now. Tell me a bit about what the trade-offs the Fed are considering when they're deciding how quickly to raise interest rates. There's no doubt they're going to raise interest rates right now to try and cool this down. But what are some of the trade-offs they're considering as they think about it? Yeah, so like I said last month, the Fed's focus really right now has to just be on fighting inflation. Okay, so the Fed is constantly attempting to create and maintain an optimal economic environment, okay? And that environment would be one of full employment, which is some low level of unemployment, say around 
three and a half to 4%. It's price stability, which is some inflation rate around 2%, maybe plus or minus a half percent, and also a stable and healthy financial system. So the Fed has been given responsibility for monetary policy, and that's the controlling of the overall level of money, you know, what we call the money supply in the economy. And we tend to see their decisions expressed as interest rates. Uh, Generally speaking, if the Fed's growth of money exceeds the rate of of economic growth, then prices are going to rise and we get inflation. And on the other hand, the trade-off is if the Fed's growth of money falls short, uh, then the economy runs the risk of falling into a recession. So those are the main trade-offs. So they're trying to balance between keeping the economy healthy and controlling inflation, and they're pulling some of these levers. So what exactly is happening when the Fed changes the benchmark rate? Um, What levers are they pulling to make these changes in the economy to change the money supply? Yeah, so this is really interesting, and it's actually changed Um, a little bit since the 2008-2009 financial crisis, Uh, but I'll try to to put it as simply as I can. So before the crisis, the Fed targeted the Fed funds rate, and that's the overnight interest rate that banks charge one another for overnight loans. You might say, well, why do they need to do that? Well, at the end of the day, banks need to hold a required level of reserves, and there are banks that have excess reserves and they lend them overnight to those that, that need the funds. Um, now the Fed still targets the Fed funds rate, but now because of uh, overnight repurchase agreements and things I won't go into right now, it puts an upper bound and a lower bound on their target range and they manage what's called the effective funds rate somewhere in the middle of the range. Um, but also, What's important since the financial crisis is that the Fed's been buying and selling long-term, like 30-year maturity, treasury securities, and mortgage-backed securities. Um, If you look at the Fed's balance sheet, today it's almost $9 trillion, and they've added $5 trillion since the beginning of the pandemic. And it's worth noting that the Fed has signaled that they need to also In addition to raising short-term interest rates, they need to start the process of reducing the size of its balance sheet very soon, perhaps as early as starting um, next month. And so the Fed influences these interest rates across this spectrum of rates by buying and selling securities. You know, they don't, the lever is not standing on top of one of those double-decker buses in New York City and grabbing a megaphone and announcing that, hey, we got some new interest rates here. Um, but what they do is they, they target rates by being an active player in the buying and selling of these securities in the open market. So again, it's, it's more complicated than this, but let me put it as simply as I can. When the Fed buys securities from the financial markets, they add those securities to their own balance sheet. And then they inject a sum of money, whatever they bought it for, into the financial system. And the consequence should be that interest rates would go lower and we'd have increased aggregate spending and we'd have faster economic growth. And when they sell securities, 
or maybe not buy them as quickly as they have in the past, the opposite should happen. They drain reserves or money from the financial system, and the result should be uh, rising interest rates, slower aggregate spending, and slower economic growth. So if I understand the, these two items better, so their, their whole goal is to control the supply of money. So the first one with banks, uh, if they raise the benchmark rate that banks can lend to each other, it incentivizes banks to save more of that money on their books and maybe pull a little money out of the market. Um, is that about right? That's about right. Okay. And then the other is, so if I've got a treasury bond, the fed, and they're probably not coming to me personally, but the fed saying, I, you know, if, if we need more money in the market, we will buy that from you. I give it to them and they, um, poof magic, create, create money to put into the market when there's more money in the market, then, then it is cheaper to lend. And that drops interest rates. That's about right. Correct. And so now what they're doing is they're trying to put those uh, treasury bonds back out there, take my money back and suck as much money out as they can to raise those interest rates and slow things down. Okay. All right. I think I've got it then. So that can't happen overnight. How long does it take to see the impact of those levers? So, so uh, Jay Powell is, Pull the lever. So we're moving up 25 basis points in March. Um, at what point in time this year, this year, I hope, uh, will Jay Powell know what the impact of that 25 basis point rate change is on our market? Yeah, excellent question, right? So we may have been lulled to sleep a little bit um, from our experience with the financial crisis because the Fed at that time also injected a lot of money into the financial system, but the financial system didn't in turn put a lot of that money out into the economy because the demand wasn't there and because of other factors. And so it, 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 it you know, you got to think, maybe think of concentric circles with your central bank putting out money to the next circle of, of the financial system and then the next circle going out into uh, spending in the economy. So there's, there's, um, there's some time differences in there. And most monetary economists would argue that there are long and variable lags with monetary policy. You know, it might take nine months or more uh, for changes in monetary policy decisions to take effect in the real economy. Uh, these adjustments have to work themselves out and they work themselves out through the forces of supply and demand in the marketplace. So, Really, monetary policy is a blunt instrument. It's like a hammer. But the question might be is, what size hammer will the Fed use? You know, if you grab a ball-peen hammer, uh, it's going to have a much different impact, a much smaller impact than a sledgehammer would have. And now, since it appears the Fed has to act aggressively to combat inflation, and in my opinion, they they sowed the seeds of the current inflationary environment some time ago, um, and the, the resulting inflation is arguably out of hand now because of a lot of that. Well, because of that, they will have to use a sledgehammer, and the results could get messy. So tell me a bit what you mean by the results could get messy. What happens if they, if, if they uh, 
if they use that sledgehammer, if they raise rates very quickly, what could happen? What's the danger? So if the Fed overreacts and the economy adjusts quickly from the recent supply chain disruptions and the oil price shock, um, then spending could fall and the economy could contract and that could lead to the next recession and much higher um, unemployment. You know, just this week, several economists are already starting to say the risks of recession um, are rising. And my own view is that the current, you know, tight labor market that we have and the continued strong consumer demand that we have and the, you know, fairly healthy balance sheets that we have for both consumers and businesses, um, I would say the risk of recession is low this year, you know, maybe 10% if you forced me to uh, provide a figure. Uh, but it gets much higher, I think, in 2023 and going into 2024. I mean, maybe 50 to 80 percent even. Um, for the Fed to effectively pull off what we call an economic soft landing as opposed to a crash landing, you know, maybe visualize an airplane here. Uh, and that would be soft landing would be, you know, an economy with full employment, price stability, steady economic growth, those you know goals that we talked about. They're going to need to watch a plethora of economic and financial indicators. But it's my opinion that they need to pay particular attention to the growth of the money supply and not just the interest rates. You know, they're going to they're going to target interest rates, but they're also um, controlling the amount of money and too much money and inflation will persist too little in the economy will contract. It's going to be a a tough balancing act. And uh, certainly having having something as predictable as a war in Europe uh, helps them a whole lot, right? <laughs> well, I'd say no. <laughs> <laughs> so so there's a lot of challenges out there. Um, it's very hard to predict. And it's not all in the hands of, of, of the Fed. So you're a financial institution right now. Um, could be a bank could be somebody who, who who lends money. A lot of folks, a lot of folks in financial institutions are, you know, in, in the financial marketplace going to be impacted by this. What's your biggest risk right now watching all this? What are you concerned about watching the Fed move uh, interest rates and try to balance this out? Yeah, so I think that the greatest risk for financial institutions is probably the speed of the interest rate changes. The speed and the... Um, and the magnitude of those changes and how they match what the Fed might telegraph uh, ahead of time. So generally speaking, when interest rates rise, you know, financial institutions will benefit uh, because they're able to reprice their assets and liabilities in such a way that they can increase interest income faster than they increase their interest expenses. But if rates are rising too rapidly or too haphazardly uh, and, and in a way that they didn't expect, their asset liability models could just, you know, basically go into shock and complicate their lending decisions. I, I guess what I mean by that, maybe another way to say that, is that rapid interest rate changes might result in postponing economic and financial decision making. And if that happens, that could lead to a downturn more quickly in the overall economy. So just like the stock market, the one thing that the financial institutions hate right now is that uncertainty. 
uncertainty kills growth. All right. So uh, Jay Powell has a has a very easy job ahead of him. He's got to uh, reassure <laughs> the entire global financial system that there is something that that resembles uh, certainty moving forward. Um, he's got China on lockdown, a war in a war in Europe, and and the highest inflation in forty years. So uh, sounds like a very difficult task. Very difficult task ahead of the of the whole committee. All right, Tom. Well, this was very helpful. Um, obviously, uh, this is also uh, a little stressful just to talk about, but I really appreciate you giving us all this insight and all of your knowledge. Well, as the dismal scientist, maybe that's that's my job. <laughs> Thanks again. All right. Thank you.